Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Welcome, everybody, to the sixth episode of the Inferno podcast. The Phoenix Suns podcast we have is hosted by myself, Dana Scott, uh, beat writer for AZ Central covering the Suns, and my co-host, Patrick Batillo, a.k.a. Mr. Orange, the super fan of the Phoenix Suns. You see him at every game, always draped in orange gear. And we have the lovely Sharon Shy Brown, beat writer for Memphis Grizzlies, and she has a lot to say today, especially for the defensive player of the year voting, and we'll get to that as well as game one for the Memphis uh, series versus the Timberwolves. That's two versus number seven, uh, respectively, in the West, and the Suns versus the Pelicans game one on Sunday. That is number one overall seed versus the number eight seed, respectively. So, just go right to it. Defensive player of the year voting just came out about a half hour ago. Marcus Smart of the Boston Celtics is the winner. And Bridges is number two. Mikhail Bridges is number two for the Phoenix Suns. Rudy Gobert, Utah Jazz is number three. Bam Adebayo got the fourth most votes. And Jaron Jackson Jr. of Memphis Grizzlies got five. So Bam Adebayo is number four of the Heat, that is. So, and Giannis got number five. He's won it multiple times. And uh, Robert Williams, actually, of the Celtics, got one vote for seventh place. So tell me what you think about these votes, Shai. I, I just, I don't, I don't like it because it just seemed like they didn't give Jaron Jackson Jr. enough respect. I didn't expect him to win it. But he at least should have been a, a finalist. He led the leagues in blocks. He led the leagues in blocks plus steals. Like, I think like 40 points more than Rudy Gobert with the blocks. And like a lot more than uh, Marcus Smart and everybody else. I'm like, why not have him to be a finalist? Right. I, I don't I don't understand it. What are the metrics? Yeah. What I are agree. they voting on? He 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 defends one through five. Mm-hmm. Okay. I mean, his rebounding numbers are, you know, 5.8. But, I mean, what's the metric here? Are you not watching watching them? Is there no visibility? I don't understand it. Yeah, I believe that with Memphis and Phoenix, we're all – we're both subjected to being these uh, small market teams that don't get enough recognition. And it takes a, a superstar player like John Morant or Devin Booker of the Grizzlies and Suns to get that recognition. And now we have Chris Paul here in Phoenix and you have great players, of course, in Memphis behind, uh, you have Desmond Bain, you have Dylan Brooks and you have Jaron Jackson Jr. Uh, Steve Adams, of course, they, you've willed yourselves to the number two seed uh, in the West and a very loaded West. But I, I just don't understand. And I agree the metrics of some of these writers uh, it, it's probably with the scene that the Celtics, they did have a great surge uh, after the, you know, when it came to the all-star break and we see where mm -hmm. they went from as a middling 500 team. And, you know, they're basically talking about having Tatum and uh, Brown possibly uh, shipped off from each other. And, and, and it, it might've been 
that they, they turned it around. And Marcus Smart is a great defensive player. But Jaron Jackson Jr. is definitely deserved a lot more votes, in my opinion. I'm going to read down the, the voting that I see here that Marcus Smart got 37 first place votes and Mikhail Bridges got 22 first place votes. Rudy Gobert got 12. Bam out of bio Miami got 13. Jaron Jackson Jr. got 10. Giannis got five. And Robert Williams III of Boston got one. So uh, we were thinking that Mikhail would be the runaway favorite. Uh, but of course, when we saw Marcus Smart's name come up, I wasn't surprised because Boston is a big market team. So there might be some bias there. I don't know for sure. Uh, but it just seems that when you look at the numbers, I'm looking at the amount of steals per game. And uh, on, on this year's, let's see, I'm looking at the regular season. And for steals, Jaron was, let's see, you're, you said he I was first, right? Uh, no, he, no, no, he was he first. No, he wasn't first, but I'm saying among those finalists, he had more steals and more blocks than they did. He had 177 blocks, mm -hmm. and then I think he had like 73 or 75 steals, and it was way more than what the finalists had. Okay, so you're talking about number, not just averages. Okay, right. Right, yeah. Okay, so, yeah, I think – I'm not sure what it could be. I wish I had the, the answer for you, but the eye test tells me that – Memphis being as great as they are and the surge that they made, obviously it was a, uh, it was because of their defense in many ways. And it wasn't just from, you know, John and the electrifying offense that he creates. But Jaron has been a defensive presence there from day one. He was the original building block of this Memphis team before Ja got there. Um, and to build around him seems to be – it was based on the defense uh, to build around him and what he brings – on that end of the court. Uh, what do you think about this, Patrick? Yeah, you know, a couple of things. So to Shai's point, I, the answer is politics, to keep it simple. Uh, there's no criteria. There's It's it's votes and who people want to vote for and why, that's their prerogative. And that's that's a problem and where I think there's restructure that's needed because to to your point, Dana, the big market versus small market, that, that shouldn't be the factor in determining individuals that really should be at the forefront of these finalists and then obviously ultimately who is, wins the award and on top of that for everyone to remember uh, if they don't know all these votes were cast and completed prior to the postseason beginning so any play that we've seen you know since the the play-ins began uh, all those votes have been locked and and it's disappointing and this happens every year and you know, similar to how they look at All Star and fan vote is this portion and media this, et cetera. What it comes down to here for these is who do people vote for, and what is their individual prerogative or reason um, that is extremely subjective. So um, definitely is an area I think and and have thought for a while needs some uh, adjustments, and the NBA needs to really look at how these are rated and do some of those comes should come statistically speaking. So mm -hmm. to point how do they rank against x y and z what were your stats for the year as a percentage of it and then yes then you bring in the human element uh because that's important in everything but to just go one way and just straight votes i don't i don't think that that's ever effective uh, based on who gets to vote and who doesn't yeah i think there's always good what are you saying i have a question for you guys mm -hmm. um we can come back to it but 
do you guys think that the power should be in the media hands anyway since that like their voting can cost players money because that's in their contract yeah like if you be for sure if, if, uh, if you you know make all the NBA, you make all soccer, you do this, do that. That costs players money. It costs uh, Jason Tatum money last year. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm I'm with you. I think, uh, and no, this isn't any disrespect to anybody, but just as you know, media will say, well, fans shouldn't be able to vote, and then fans say media shouldn't be able to vote. All around, who is responsible? And also, we're all human, right? So if you're media and, you know, one particular player doesn't treat the media very well or is just not media friendly, does that impact some people's bias and how they vote? So that that's where I personally believe no matter who is voting, there has to be an element that it removes just the human element of it and, and brings a combination of things that can allow for a more leveled playing field and opportunity for individuals that truly deserve to be considered to have that opportunity. And then it's just like, there's the narrative going, like say for instance, if one media meter, media member do, don't like a certain player or whatever, it's just like sometimes their buddies do the same thing. You know what I'm saying? Exactly. I mean, and, and exactly. it's just, and people don't, people don't make up their own minds. They go with the flow. Yeah, they definitely have the theory of long tail as a part of it and what you basically follow, what everybody else follows and such. So I think that when people have certain uh, understanding of who a player is and they follow that player and they just continue on based on what other people say. And I just think that's what happened with Devin Booker, why he didn't get all-star votes until – you know, just a couple of years ago when Damian Lillard told him, I mean, told the media, I can't play this game in, you know, the 2020 All-Star game. I'm too injured. Devin Booker takes my spot. And if it wasn't for that, Devin Booker wouldn't be a three-time All-Star up to this point. He'd probably be a one-time All-Star, just be, even through last year when he barely got in and he had to sit out because of injury too. But it was just a matter of, you know, the there's so many biases of people that want to, just follow along with what other people say. I don't, and I think that's where Aiton, you know, it kind of in terms of what people don't like maybe about him or don't know about him being in a small market. I mean, maybe so there's people who think that he should be an all-star or that he should be up for a defensive player of the year. But there's, there's the, when one person gets picked, another person gets upset. So we're subjected to that too <laughs> in that way and why we feel the way we feel subjectively versus you know, what other people think about others and then it becomes a majority versus minority. And I know that being in a small market is a minority. And, you know, the Phoenix being a number two overall seed last year, you know, they got basically favored against by the Lakers who were a seventh seed. And even, you know, people were thinking that, you know, if the Lakers make the playoffs, they could make a run and they could just turn it around where it becomes this, where people... It's like the saying, people um, tell you who they are, you should believe them. And that's you know, kind of where uh, and, and they have the base uh, pe- people that are, you know, the players that are standing out, like Marcus Smart and with Mikhail Bridges and you know, with Rudy Gobert, who's won it, you know, three years in the past, you know, uh, there's time for a new one. Marcus Smart, I think the stat is he's the first guard to win it. Um I, I, it's been a long time. I don't know the exact stat, but I did see that somewhere. So uh, I mean, there's people who think that Monty Williams, you know, is a runaway favorite for coach of the year. 
including last year, and he didn't win it last year, and he's supposed to win it this year. I won't be surprised we're seeing this about Marcus Smart that if Monty Williams does not get coach of the year, you know, this year either they could go. So we're we gonna have to disagree here. I think that Taylor Jenkins should get coach of the year. Money mm-hmm. Williams should have got it last year. Yep. But but you know how politics goes. But if Money Williams get it, hey, I have no problem with that. Mm-hmm. But I, I agree. With I, I think I, I think Taylor sh- Jenkins should get it. Is just because it's just like they were the number eight seed, and then they went to number two. But Money Williams should have got it last year. Right. But you know politics. Okay. And Taylor Jenkins is a deserving you know, a guy to get the Coach of the Year award. No question. He's a finalist. And I agree that he's definitely up for, you know, getting a lot of votes. So it could be neck and neck with Monty and Monty could edge him out. And Right. It takes- I mean, and I, and I wouldn't be mad at that, but I don't think Eric Spoelstra should have been um, the finalist. I think, um, I can't pronounce the guy's name, the guy in um, the coach with the um, Celtics. Udoku? Oh, oh, yeah, yeah. Email Udoka. Yeah, Udoka. Yeah, I believe what Udoka yeah, actually agreed. deserves votes. Um, but, you know, Spolstra is part of a culture that's been created from Pat Riley. And he Spolstra has been there for well over 10 years now. So I don't get surprised when I see the heat at the top of the standings because of what he has done ever since LeBron left. And usually it takes one, you know, elite player to get you to the you know the top of the, the heap and he's hasn't really had that since LeBron left not to, to take away from Jimmy Butler or Bam Adebayo or even Tyler Hero was up for six man of the year those guys are very deserving of recognition in, in certain ways and certainly Tyler Hero he's probably going to be the six man of the year but I think with Spolstra is that he finds ways to get the right pieces and make them work and wills them to go far in the playoffs, just like he did to the 2020 finals in the bubble. And Taylor Jenkins, for sure, you know, I think that we're in the age of the small market team and the super teams don't work anymore. So when you see a guy like Taylor Jenkins build around two guys like Ja and Jaron Jackson Jr., and especially in a, a market that's a flyover state, you're definitely gonna get more votes, in my opinion. That, that hey, 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 more. hey! What, what you, what you, what you mean about a fly, flyover state? <laughs> well, Tennessee is generally—I <laughs> mean, nothing to take away from Tennessee. I've been to Memphis. No, I, no, no. See, see, let, let, let me, uh, uh, you know, let you know. Memphis is a state. We don't belong to Tennessee. We just Memphis. <laughs> okay. So, <laughs> yeah, I gotta get you straight right there. Okay. We don't deal with Tennessee. We just we Memphis. Well, you're just Memphis now because you don't even have Memphis State as part of your te- your school. It's actually just Memphis University of Memphis. It's been like that since right. You got, you got y'all saying, had Michael Wilson and Lorenzen Wright. Rest in peace. Yeah, so it's just Memphis. You know, we a state. You know, the state of Tennessee don't like us here. You know, in the city or whatever. Is that we're right? just Memphis? Uh, it's it's yeah. It's it's it's. It's, it's, it's messed up. <laughs> yeah, I've really been there bad. once. I've been I've been to Memphis once, and I actually went to that Stax Museum and, you know, Graceland, and I've uh, been to, you know, where Dr. King was assassinated and, you know, Beale Street. And it's actually a really cool city. It's a big uh, – it, it's actually uh, reminds me of uh, when I used to go visit my 
folks in Alabama, you know, my, my extended family down there. I'm from Connecticut, born and raised, and my grandmother's side of the family, and my from my dad, his mother, they're, they're all from Alabama. So uh, Memphis has that southern element to it that reminds me a lot of just a prototypical southern city. And I guess I'm kind of biased in saying it's a flyover state as a Yankee <laughs> from the northeast. So forgive me for saying that. And no, that's not a pejorative way of speaking down about your town. Um, but uh, I know a couple of years ago, there was a friend of mine in the marketing partnerships office of Memphis saying that we're going to build this team around and, and it's going to, the city's coming up. We're going to build on the riverfront. I saw the renderings of the new arena and that you at FedEx arena there. And I saw what the projections were and I didn't believe it. And that was just four years ago, but I feel stupid now based on where y'all at. I will say that. So, but when it, I was also going to ask you, Shy, Ja being as great as he is, a lot of people compare him to Iverson. Now, I don't see that because Iverson put up like 40 shots a game. I see Ja as a better passer than Iverson. So I like to equate him similar to Penny Hardaway, who was a Memphis native in Penny's prime back in the mid to late 90s when he was with the Orlando Magic. Do you see that comparison or do you not? No, I just think I wish people would let Ja be Ja. Let him grow into be who he is instead of comparing him to uh, Allen Iverson, Derrick Rose, or any of the other players. Mm -hmm. Let Ja be Ja and let him find his own way. Okay. Because I never heard the Derrick Rose comparison, maybe in early in his career before he started getting hurt, but that seems easy to pick because Derrick Rose went to Memphis in that 2008 championship. It's the jumping ability where they say that he's explosive like Derrick Rose, he's explosive like uh, Russell Westbrook and everything. It's just like people are saying that he's like all of those players combined. Right. But I look at Ja and he's averaging, you know, 7.3. Um, I'm sorry. He's averaging 6.7 assists per game, 7.1 for his career. Mm -hmm. And I look at Penny and his first three years in the league, Penny uh, had similar numbers. So mm -hmm. that's why I made the comparison because Derrick Rose was not known as an elite passer and, and playmaker only unto himself. Yes, he could do it. And Iverson really wasn't the playmaker. He was, more of a guy that could electrify taking guys off the dribble and and, and get himself open and, and being a high score. So that's why I made the comparison between Hardaway when I saw him with the Magic back in the day with Shaq and just those great plays that he made for other people and the way that he could just take people off the dribble. And sure, the leaping ability and athleticism is there. Uh, but just his defense ability too, you know, Ja is is just really great in the open court and also in the half court. So that's why I, I asked that question. But Patrick, what do you see about Ja that based? It, it it seems like he's probably the most electrifying guard in the game today, for sure. Yeah, you know, uh, I'm with Shy. I don't I don't ever like the player comparison. I think it's just human nature. Some people just default to wanting to compare someone instead of letting them be their own. Yeah. And so for me, he is exciting. 
and and that's the word I use. And I know anytime there's a game on, I can watch on League Pass and Memphis is playing. I, I want to be a part of watching that. Um, and and kudos to Memphis just in general. Like when he's out, uh, you know they they still are able to perform, and that that I think speaks to the culture and what they're building there. Um, but for him, he's just a special young talent that we're blessed to just be able to witness. And, uh, you know, I'm sure for Shy, it's amazing to be able to see and be a part of that, you know, much more than, than all of us. But um, it's definitely exciting and something that I know I always look forward to and just what he does for the game and the the youth. So to, to go from, you know, the Curry focus that, you know, me coaching at the high school level and so many young people focusing on that, wanting to just shoot threes all the time, to having, you know, someone in the younger generation uh, be more than just that and no disrespect to the shooting or, or Steph Curry, of course, but uh, to be able to have others that do, you know, other things and they're not built, uh, you know, special and uh, having high school athletes that can relate to like who he is and see that that's a path that they can achieve is something that excites me, you know, as a coach as well. Yeah. And I like what you're saying about lack of three point shooting to become great because Ja for the you know, regular season, he only averaged five, three point attempts a game. And, and you know, compared to most other players at, 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 at the guard playing like uh, say, you know, six to 10, you know, just it's some crazy stat. So I'm wondering about if Ja is probably more focused on trying to make sure that everybody, you know, gets a, gets a touch and that they're modeling themselves after, you know, uh, other great teams that weren't focused on the three uh, and also predicated on, you know, transition defense and things of that nature to really get their offense going. Uh, is, is that something that you agree with, Jai? Well, uh, Ja, he led the league in points in the paint. I think it was uh, 16 points or so, 16.6 points. Mm-hmm. I mean, and I mean, he was the shortest player. Yeah. He's the first guard to ever lead the league in that category. Right. So he get his points at the rim. Right. He's, you know, it's just like he, he, he shoot the three, you know, sometimes, but that's not his bread and butter. Right. Yeah, because he basically, basically, he can get what he wants. Right, and that speaks to his athleticism. You just breeze by anybody to get inside. He's more of an attack player rather than just settling for, you know, getting himself open to shoot from outside. And they have those guys that can shoot from outside too. So it's like – and, and I like what they're doing over there in, in, with the inside. I always thought that Brandon Clark would be a – a home pick for the Phoenix Suns, being that he is from Phoenix. He went to Desert Visitor High School, school out here. Um, you know, and I like what Desmond Bain, he's backed on a lot of weight, you know, to be that, you know, the bruiser and, and great, you know, shooter. And also, seeing you know, what Dylan Brooks has done. And, you know, and I, I definitely enjoy watching Memphis. But Saturday, you lost in game one to the Timberwolves. Uh, the Grizzlies lost 130 to 117. And Ja had 32 points. Tim Wolves, Anthony Edwards had 36. So what do you see happened on Saturday? Was it just that the Timberwolves were coming off of their play-in win and had that rhythm, and the Grizzlies were basically kind of coming off of some, you know, a week off and rust or something? Or what did you, else did you see possibly? Um, the Timberwolves outplayed them, plain and simple. Mm-hmm. They wanted it more. And then it's just like it seems like the Grizzlies lost their swagger. They were off, you know, and, okay, to me, you know, I, 
I hate that the last couple of games the players rested, but I know they be trying to, you know, um, stop injuries. But to me, injuries can happen at any time. You can't prepare for it or whatever. And then, like, when they're in a good rhythm, I don't think you should just, like, have them to rest. Because, like, when you're in a good rhythm, you're shooting well and all this and that. Sometimes you're going to be off. And then it's just like they got punched in the mouth Saturday. Right. They really did. Steven Adams, I mean, he didn't do anything. Jaron Jackson Jr., he didn't do anything on offense. He was in foul trouble. They really need him. Um, I think Taylor Jenkins should have went to the um, John Conchar on the bench because he's a player, you know, he hustles. He's good at rebounding. Um, at one point, one game when they played Minnesota, he had 17 rebounds. And then, like, Xavier Tillman, he probably should have used him because Stephen Adam gave them nothing, really. He really gave them nothing. And Minnesota exploited that. And they, did, they didn't have an answer for Carl Anthony Towns or Edwards. They didn't have no answer. So right. they need to adjust. And then the shoot, three-point shooting was off, and then they missed too many free throws. It's not an excuse. Minnesota just flat out played better. Free throws are the big deal, you know, down the stretch. And that's when you're scoring without the clock moving, you know, that makes a difference. And uh, that's actually a, a big issue for a lot of teams down the stretch. And, and, and I saw that with the Clippers against, you know, the uh, Pelicans this, you know, the night. They went 13 for 25 down the stretch, I believe. They were 13 for 24. And, and that's a big reason why they lost the game, because if you don't hit your free throws down the stretch, you know, uh, you know that's – a big a lot of numbers accounted for that it makes a difference at the end of the game. I mean, that's, that's a given. And I see the Suns, at least, you know, they they, they shoot they, – they have a hard time getting the line, probably because of the calls. So that's why I'm wondering if the Suns could end up making a deep run without getting to the line. And the Grizzlies, it seems like they attack the paint a lot, and they, at least they get to the line. So – um, but I see Memphis, and this is my next way to segue to the next topic. Do you see that Memphis is the biggest threat to the Grizzlies, I mean, uh, to the Suns, you know, in the playoffs on route to try to get back to the finals? Uh, right now, Memphis need to worry about the Wolves. True, one series at a time. Yeah, one series at a time. So, like, they really need to worry about the Wolves right now because it's going to be a hard series. And then, like, even if they do advance, they got to worry about the Warriors one team at a time. Right. The Warriors because, definitely have – go ahead. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to Right, yeah, one, one team at a time because if, if you know, like, some, say, for instance, you look too far ahead, you got to worry about the one team. Don't disrespect the team that you're playing. You're looking too far ahead. Yeah. Well, the eye test, though, in terms of the standings and in terms of where these teams were surging – towards the end of the regular season. Yes, we have the new season now. It's a clean slate. But in terms of how these teams respond, especially for game two and where they were mm-hmm. projected to get to where they, they've proven where they can be, you know, by the end of June or where do you see them? I always, I, thought, I always thought it would be tough mm-hmm. because we have the Warriors in Phoenix. Them other only, you know, and, and then Dallas, but you know, Luca Hurt or whatever. There's, you know, there are tough teams in the West that give the Grizzlies problems. So it's just like one series 
one series at a time. Yeah. Patrick, what's your take on this uh, playoff fixture towards the end of June? Yeah, you know, uh, I agree with Shai. Well, first, I'm not worried about Memphis uh, winning this series. I think she hit it on the head a few things. Same as, as my worry coming into the Phoenix game last night was when you have a team that has been off for almost a week or more coming against a team. Yeah, it goes both ways, right? Oh, they traveled. They played so many days in a row. They're going to be tired. It, it's different. You have a different level of adrenaline. You guys are clicking on all cylinders. You haven't, yeah, you can practice every day or four days leading up to a game, but you cannot replicate uh, in-game atmosphere, let alone a play-in game, which isn't playoffs technically, but we all know is in terms of feel. And so that first game, you know, is, is one that the team that has had the rest has to really come in ready to go. And you saw that with Phoenix last night, you know, blowing the, the lead that, that Phoenix had. Um, you know, and coming away with the win at the end from an execution perspective. But you can see, you know, a lot of guys were not in rhythm, were not hitting their shots, the usual things that they typically do. And so, um, you know, I, I think Memphis will be fine here. Uh, right approach for Shy, I'm sure that's their focus, is coming out, especially at home, and making sure they win that next one. Um, and then one series at a time, especially in the West. Uh, no disrespect to the East, but um, there, there's quite a handful of teams that, um, you know, are, are really going to each round. It's just going to be one battle after another. Most definitely. Most definitely. Absolutely. But I really appreciate you agreeing with everything I said, Patrick. So I think I must be saying something right. <laughs> well, I mean, you're, you're just hitting it on the head. The points is you, we can't, we, like us, everyone's like, oh, this is your year. And I said, our year is, you know, focusing on game two. Right. right. Not, you, you can't overlook anybody. This, this is the NBA. Your regular season means nothing. And statistically speaking, we've seen it the last five years. The team with the you know best statistical record and win record in the NBA has not even made it to the NBA Finals. So um, you know, all eyes and focus should be on what is your next challenge, and that's whatever your next practice day is or your next game and opponent, and and what are you going to do to execute that? There's no point in looking past that. Excellent. I have a question, have a question for you guys. Yes, so, sir. how did you guys feel about? when Dylan Brooks and the G League All-Stars beat Phoenix that game? Well, go ahead, Patrick. You seem like you were ready to answer. Yeah, yeah. You know, for me, I was not surprised, to be honest with you, uh, because, again, two reasons for me. One, these are all professionals, right? Mm -hmm. um, they they can play. They can hoop. That's, that's why they're here. Right. Uh, two... Memphis is a prideful place and and that culture is built the right way and when you have the you know a team that's the defending Western Conference champions and you know NBA um, conference or, or making it to NBA finals from the previous year coming in you're automatically on everyone's radar so whether you have any guys resting or not or whoever they have you need to come ready to play and mm -hmm. This was ready and Memphis executed and they they did a very good job of that and as a result you know, they got the win. And so I was not shocked at all. I was, um, you know, disappointed in terms of the outcome, but, um, you know, you have to give it off to, to your hats off to Memphis. And to me, Memphis, it was the challenge that I, because of, you know, Jacques can go out and someone step in, you know, to me, they're, they're pretty similar to Phoenix in terms of depth and culture. So mm -hmm. you're not relying on one or two stars. Uh, you have people that next man up mentality and, and whether that's, injury, you know, illness, COVID protocol or health and safety protocol, whatever it is, um, you know, they're ready to go. And so to me, that that's why it was no shock. 
they have a mantra that says everybody eats. Yeah, and they, they live they, it. They see yeah. they say it all the time. Everybody eats. All right. And speaking of which, I think it's time for me to eat. And uh, <laughs> I appreciate you coming on, Shy. And that's going to conclude our podcast for today. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. And uh, good luck in game two. Hey, y'all, we got to do this again. I look, this was, this was great. <laughs> <laughs> Indeed. Appreciate you. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.